practiced that we can do as well. Last week, uh, our practice was single-mindedness. And um, I threatened in the first service to make everybody stand up if they were here and already knew that. But I won't do that to you guys because this is the good service. Just don't tell them that I said that. Um, and if you come to Real Women at all when I speak, I think every time I make people like stand up and sit down, it's just a fun thing for me to do to you. But we're not going to do that today. So and I won't even make you raise your hands. Who remembers last week who was here or heard online about single-mindedness? That was our practice. We talked about, um, Pastor Eric gave us the definition, it's living each day yielded to God's direction. And he talked about submission, and we sang the old hymn, I Surrender All. So today is kind of like the part two from that, because our practice is surrender. And it goes beautifully with the practice of single-mindedness, because when you practice one, it really helps us to do better practicing the other one. And that's a great thing about all spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. They all build on each other and they all lead into one another. And we're gonna talk about that even a little more as we go through today, but let's start with our verse. For today, you can um, start with us um, online. I think it's on the app. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open to Romans 12, um, and it should also be on the screen for us. Romans 12, one says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. I love this verse. There's so much going on in this verse. Let's, let's look at it again, a little bit slower, and see if we can pick up on what the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter to the Romans, is talking about. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. He pleads with us. So this is something he really cares about. This is something that's really important. Give your bodies to God. That sounds kind of weird. Give your bodies to God. How do, we do, how do we do that? How do we give our bodies to God? Because of all he has done for you. What has God done for you? And does what he has done for you, does that merit you? giving your body to him? Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. That's never a good word, sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, our first practice that we talked about four weeks ago was worship. And you might remember... Again, I will not ask you to put up your hands, though, you know, you could if you wanted. If you were here, we talked about the practice of worship and that we worship God because of who he is and what he has done for us. Throughout scripture, whenever biblical characters encounter the living God and they have this experience of God, how do they respond to that? Generally, they all sort of fall down and they worship. They worship because God is, he's so much and he, he's so big and he's so powerful and he's so holy and he's so good, he's so righteous and they're struck with awe and all they can do is respond 
respond to who God is with worship. And worship isn't just the proper response that we give to God, but it also is an action, it's a practice that when we participate in that, it gives us something. Worship gives us hope and it gives us comfort and it motivates us to keep moving closer to God. And the verse here says, this is how we worship, with our lives, with our bodies. And that's a really important distinction because our faith is not a faith that we just think about. It's not just a set of good ideas, like Jesus is a life coach, right? Or that, you know, he's got some good things to say and we want to pay attention to that, but mm, it's something that we want to actually live out. Faith is something that we do. It's not just something that we think or we talk about. And this is a theme that you see all the way through scripture. In the Old Testament, um, the prophets would say, speaking on God's behalf, this is a people who worships me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And Jesus talks about this idea in the Gospels. And then in the letters that the apostles were writing to the early church, the rest of the New Testament is made up of, they talk about how what we profess and what we practice need to be the same thing. Because thoughts and words, they don't matter unless we combine them with our practice with our actions. So we use our whole body to live out whatever it is that we believe. And this verse is saying, it's not just that our whole life is worship. It's that it's a sacrifice. The sacrifice is when we put God's will ahead of our own will. And that's the definition of surrender. When we put God's will ahead of our own will, we're surrendering. We're making a living sacrifice. This is something that Jesus models for us throughout his life, certainly in his death. Jesus repeatedly says, I have not come to accomplish my own will. I have come to do the will of my Father. We have the same choice to make today and every day. Will we put our own will first? what I want, what I think is best, what I think is going to make me happy, or do I put God's will first? And Jesus puts it this way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And that leads us to our big idea for the day, which is, Surrendering to God leads us to life. And not just any kind of life, but abundant life. This verse in Matthew can be a little confusing. If I save my life, I'm going to lose it. And if I lose it for Jesus, I'm going to save it. But what Jesus is talking about is the difference between our will and God's will. Can we give up trying to control our lives putting ourselves first, trying to manage people and control circumstances so that everything comes out the way I want it, so I get my own way. In a nutshell, Jesus is saying we have to make a choice between two different ways of living. We can choose to live according to our own will, 
or we can choose to live according to God's will. We have to choose if we're going to go God's way or if we're going to go our own way. And going our own way is kind of the default for people, right? That's a very human thing because we like to be right. I like to be right. Does anybody else like to be right? What feels better than knowing that you're right and forcing someone else to admit that you're right? This is why we love sports, I think. Yesterday, Kevin, my husband, was watching a sportsy thing on TV and he left the room and it was still on and I'm crocheting and our daughter Caitlin is playing Twister by herself, don't ask. Or she say, don't judge. Um, and this uh, sports commentator who's been doing this for 20 years comes on and says, the thing about sports and how it, it galvanizes us is not just that when our team wins, we win, it's that we're right. And I thought, yes, fits in perfectly. But we like to be right. Generally, we want to be the boss of our own lives. Anyone who's ever had a two-year-old or seen a two-year-old knows that this is true. We want to get our way. And just like a two-year-old, a lot of us could be described as a little bit strong-willed. That's how my parents always described me. She's a little strong-willed. That's a nice way of saying stubborn as a mule. We want what we want when we want it. So surrendering our will is hard, especially at first. That's why we need to practice. We have to come to a point where we acknowledge who God is, that he is worthy of worship. He's not just a guru who has good advice. He's not just someone who loves us like our parents. He's not just a life coach, really good life coach. He is someone worthy of worship because we don't worship those people, but God is worthy of worship. And when we focus on him, there's that single-mindedness again. It makes it so much easier to begin to practice laying down the burden of having to have our own way and to lay down the burden of needing to be right so that we can surrender. Why is it so hard? I think it's because we think we know best. Or maybe we just want our own way, even when we know it's probably not the best. Anybody else identify with that? Sometimes I just want my way. I don't care if my husband's right. I want it my way. Or maybe we don't trust that someone else, even God, is going to do things the way I think they should be done, and by the way, in my time frame too, according to my schedule. Sometimes we trust God, but we don't trust him to do everything the way I would do it. And this is where worship can help us remember that God is God, not me. And if you'll remember this, several weeks ago, Pastor Ben stood up here and talked to us about the nature of God, and he spent the whole time teaching about how God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows every possibility, and he knows every actuality, and he knows you, and he's all-seeing. He has 
seen everything. He will see everything, and he sees you. He's all-powerful. He is capable of creating and sustaining the universe. He's capable. He's all good. Scripture says there is no darkness in him at all. And he's all loving. And the object of his love is you. And all of this, all of this means that we can trust God. Not just with what happens when we die, but what happens now while we live. We don't just trust Jesus with our death. We trust him with our life. Jesus said, I have come so that you can have abundant life. Jesus wants us to find our lives. He wants us to live a good and beautiful life. And he knows the way we do that is by surrendering our will to God's will. Because God's will for us is to live a life that is significant, that is full of purpose, that's full of his presence, that's full of his love and his joy and his kindness and patience and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness. Is this starting to sound familiar? A few years ago, Galatians 5, through 23 was our church life verse, all these fruits of the Spirit. So going back to Matthew 16, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Jesus knows that our mulish stubbornness, that our desire to get our own way unchecked, is eventually going to lead us somewhere we don't want to be. Eventually, even if we get everything that we think that we want, it will be at the expense of our soul. You remember last week when um, Pastor Eric was talking about um, single-mindedness, he talked about how the other option to single-mindedness is to be um, double-souled. You might remember he talked about that double-souled is when we're being pulled in opposite directions which, by the way, used to be a literal form of torture back when we used to think that was a good idea. It will be at the expense of true and lasting happiness. It will be at the expense of joy and peace and love and kindness and goodness and all those things that come from living under God's will, all those fruits of the Spirit because we cannot have those things being formed within us if we choose door number one, going our way, instead of going God's way. I love how Moses talks about this same idea way back uh, in Deuteronomy when God was gathering the children of Israel out of Egypt, making them into a nation, giving them the Ten Commandments. Moses, speaking on the behalf of God, says this. Now listen. That's a great start, isn't it? Any verse that starts with, now listen, you know it's going to be good. 
Today, I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Oh, that you would choose life, that you and your children may live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to life. And Moses goes on for a couple of chapters. And I feel like he could see, right, people's faces in the audience. Maybe a teenager, sorry to pick on you, but he could see on their face what they were thinking. And he says, hey, you listening to this, don't be, th don't be thinking to yourself, this is fine, this is fine. Don't think I'm safe, even though I'm following the desires of my own stubborn heart, because this will lead you to utter ruin. Even when we want good things, we still tend to want them our way, according to our schedule. And I love the way that Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, talks about this idea. He says, one source of difficulty in dying to self, that is surrendering our will to God's, is that we may confuse our desire for what is good and right with our desire to have our own way. In many controversies, important values are at stake and people are passionately committed to each side. That is as it should be. But more often than not, the contempt and anger that emerges in the conflict manifests the will to have our way. Families, churches, communities, and sovereign nations become embroiled in deadly conflicts that would disappear or be resolved but for the relentless will to have our way. So what would it look like to live surrendered to God, completely trusting in him no matter what circumstances we walk through? Well, Willard tells us that too. When we live surrendered to God, we will not be surprised or offended at not getting what we want. Social slights, verbal put-downs, even physical discomforts will not disturb our feelings or peace of mind. Apprentices of Jesus know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, as it says in Romans 8.28. They do not have to look out for themselves because they are not in charge of their lives. Rather, God is. They appropriately look after things that concern them, and further down, Willard explains, we all have people and things that we are responsible for and we should be responsible for them, but they do not worry about outcomes that merely affect adversely their own desires and feelings. They are free to focus their efforts on the service of God and others. This selfless life enables us to do what we want to do, be truthful, transparent, helpful, and sacrificially loving, with joy, because our lives are caught up in God's life, a way of life and peace. You might also remember last week, Pastor Eric read Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live in this body, 
I live by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love how that verse and Romans 12 go together. We can trust God because of who he is and what he has done. And that doesn't mean we're putting our trust in outcomes, in circumstances. We trust that no matter what happens, no matter what challenges we face, no matter what grief and suffering we walk through. I love the song that we just sang. It mentions Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for, why? For thou art with me. Not because nothing's going to happen to me. Not because I'm going to live forever, by the way. I'm never going to die. My children are never going to die. Nothing. I'm never going to struggle with anything. No, the Bible tells us you will suffer in the world. You will walk through grief because other people get to make choices. And sometimes we make choices that hurt us. And sometimes other people make choices that hurt us. And we have to live and navigate that. But no matter what happens, I am with you. I love also that, uh, it's probably not the chorus, I don't know what it's called, but that part of the song where we sing, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Sometimes we are surrounded, but we are surrounded by God. And that makes all the difference. God is with us no matter what. So if we are in his presence, we can have joy and peace, his joy and peace, even if we're suffering at the same time. Because life is difficult. Life is hard. But we can experience peace and joy even while we are experiencing difficulty because God is present with us. And we trust that he is for us and he is for our good. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And that's why the Apostle Paul could say, in Christ I have everything I need. Yeah, he could use a boat while he's bobbing around the ocean trying to survive another shipwreck. But he doesn't need it in order to have confidence in God. He's not putting his trust in outcomes or in circumstances, but in God's presence with him. Paul was able to experience joy even while in chains because he knew God was with him. When we are confident of God's love for us, we will find abundant life in the midst of any circumstance. We put our full confidence in God that no matter what happens, he is still good. He still loves us. He comes to make his home with us, and he will never leave us. God's presence is what makes life abundant. So back to our starting verse. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is what? It's good. It's good, and it's pleasing 
and it's perfect. So we just have a couple of thinking points today. The first one is, what God wants for me is better than what I want for myself. Because I want good things for me. And I want good things for my family. I want good things for my friends and for my community. But God wants something even better for me, for my family, for my friends, for my community. As good as I can imagine, God can do even more, even greater than anything I could ask or imagine. And this is a good question for us to take a minute and think about and ask ourselves, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that what God wants for me is better than what I want for myself? Or do I know better than God? Because it might. But our second takeaway is, I can trust God enough to surrender to his will because I believe that his will is good and pleasing and perfect. We just have a couple of takeaways today as well. And these are both phrases that we tend to hear a lot of at Valley Point, and I love them. I love a good catchphrase. It makes it so easy to remember. And the first one is eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. Spend time this week thinking about who God is and what he has done for you. Getting to know the living God is so much more important than just learning about him, than knowing facts about him. And the first three practices that we talked about a few weeks ago, um, worship and prayer and Bible study, those are great ways that we can intentionally spend time getting to know God. Because the more we know him, the more we trust him. And the more confident we can be in surrendering our will to his will. It's hard to trust someone that we don't know. There's just this random person and you're like, eh, I don't know if I can trust them. But then if I say, hey, this is my friend Courtney. And I trust her with my life. And I trust her with my kids' lives. That really helps you to know, maybe I can trust this person. So if you're sitting here and you're like, mm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure I can trust God enough to surrender my will to his will. Get to know him, but also ask somebody. If you know somebody who trusts God, not just with their death, not just with what happens after they die, but you know someone who trusts him with their life, Say, why do you trust him with your life? Why do you trust him? Why should I trust him? And see what they say. The second takeaway is others first. Let's look for ways this week that we can practice setting aside getting our own way, that we can practice setting aside our need to be right so that we can serve and love others around us. This is something we can do if we trust God to look out for us. Because if God is looking out for us, that means we are free to look out for others. We can respond gently to conflict. We can be patient and attentive to those who irritate us or who are interrupting our day. We can let someone we disagree with have the last word. We can pray for someone instead of judging them. We can practice 
surrendering our will to God's because who God is and what he has done for us means that we can love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Will you pray with me? Jesus, 